Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hospitality MD Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Allison. Super glad to be with you again this week. If you missed last week's episode, we interviewed David Lund, Hotel Financial Coach for Hotel Financials 101. We want all of you guys to be the first ones to get promoted at your hotels, to move up and unlock the door to the executive committee. So if you're looking to learn more about the foundational elements of hotel financials, check out last week's episode. This week is Shep Hyken, New York Times bestselling author and customer service and experience expert. This guy is a legend. He's been doing this for a very long time. It was an honor to have him on the show. We are talking all about how to get your hotel guests to come back again and again and again. If Shep's insights are intriguing to you, I encourage you to go to the link in our show notes and purchase a copy of his brand new book appropriately titled, I'll Be Back. The link is in the description. Go and check it out. It's full of useful nuggets and information. And again, He's not a New York Times bestselling author for no reason. So thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate your support. As usual, if you aren't subscribed and you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts, just take a second right now to go and do that. It really helps us grow our audience and have more people learn and be inspired each and every week. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you at the end of the episode. Well, let's get started. Uh, Giddy Shep, up. <laughs> Giddy up. Giddy up. Shep, thank you so much for being on Hospitality MD. It is an honor to have you here. Um, I mean, I think you've been you've been preaching the good word of hospitality and customer service and cu- customer experience probably for double my life, potentially. I, I, uh, gosh, what is that? How old does that make me? Uh, <laughs> How well, you old look are you? Great. I'm 24 years old. 24. So I've been doing it longer than 24 years, but not double longer than 24 years. <laughs> um, I started my first business when I was 12. And within a very short period of time, my parents taught me some customer service skills, writing a thank you note to my client. I did birthday party magic shows. So I got paid you know, like $15 for a magic show. Uh, the first time I went out and I got a dollar tip, I felt really good, but I was only 12. I wrote a thank you note. I called the people a week later and asked how, how'd you like the show? And what did you like about the show? What were your favorite tricks in the show? And, and after a period of time, I learned that if you listen to the customers, they'll tell you what the best product is and you can adjust to make sure that you deliver the best. I had no idea that was process improvement. And, and it was, you know, it, I, I did everything short of on a scale of zero to 10, what's the likelihood you'd recommend me to, you know, <laughs> you know, the NPS, but that's really where it started. And, and uh, so I have had this focus on service and experience. And one of the things I've talked about for many years is the hospitality mentality. And that is, not specific to the hospitality industry, but that is something that every industry needs at some level. And I don't care if you're actually in the hotel business or you could be selling missiles uh, to other countries. You have to have a level of, uh, or creating some level of experience that makes people feel like you're engaged with them, you're connected with them. And and that's what's gonna drive the relationship, which ideally is gonna earn you business and long-term keep you business. Well, here at Hospitality MD, hospitality is everyone's business. That's our motto. That's what right. We stand by. That's what we yeah. stand by. Um, and and it sounds like you really subscribe to that philosophy as well. Um, but I'm curious to know: Do you 
see a difference in your mind between customer service, customer experience, and hospitality? Are those one and the same or is there a difference? You know, it all blends together. I might be able to answer this better by giving you, um, I interviewed somebody a number of years ago for a book, The Amazement Revolution, which by the way is not, I'll be back. Right, <laughs> different book, because yeah, one of the eight books, right? Yeah, yeah. So Amazement Revolution was like number, I don't know, maybe number four. Um, but in the book, I interviewed Jim Bush, who is the, at the time, was the senior vice president worldwide of customer service for American Express. And this is a this is a testimony to how important hospitality is to the world of customer service and experience beyond the hotel industry or the hospitality industry. So he said, if he was given a chance to hire a person to fill a seat in his customer support center, and that person had 10 years worth of customer support center experience or 10 years working at the front desk or at the banquet room of a hotel, he would choose the person who worked at the hotel. Because you can teach somebody how to go through screens and look up information, but that hospitality mentality, and by the way, that's, I think what I called it, um, but that hospitality mindset is something that's very difficult uh, to just learn unless you've been there before. I mean, some people have it, they're naturally uh, leaning toward being uh, hospitality focused, but coming from the industry where you have to be, I mean, I remember that after I interviewed with him and then I had a chance to hire a new assistant. And when she told me she worked four years at a hotel at the front desk, I didn't even have to look any further. I said, this is the person I want. Well, that gives me chills, by the way. It validates a lot of what uh, what the the toil that we do in our industry, you know, in, in the hotel world, which is not always the easiest work. Um, so it, it, that's definitely, uh, I think our viewers and listeners will be happy to hear that, especially coming from American Express. So if you're unhappy at your hotel job, you probably uh, go over to American Express. They might have a place for you. <laughs> Jim's not there anymore, okay? <laughs> but I think they're still recognized as an icon in the industry of customer service experience. And they really take that net promoter score to heart. I mean, that's, uh, they use surveys and, and data from direct feedback verbatims from the customer to determine bonuses for the people on the front line going all the way up to the very top dog there, you know, somebody like Jim Bush. Um, so they take really good pride in making sure there's, uh, the, the right people are hired, the proper people are trained or they are trained properly. And that's really important to them. Well, certainly, certainly. Um, so you mentioned 12 years old, you're starting your business, you're doing this great, like that's nuts, by the way, what you're doing, calling, <laughs> sending thank you notes, really great business acumen uh, and service acumen at such a young age. I'm, I'm wondering if that was your enunciation time, your enunciation moment into um, this lifelong commitment really to, uh, to a better experience for, for customers. And really, I guess the way that I would interpret that is almost a better life for people, because as consumers in a consumer society, we engage so frequently with businesses as, as a part of our, uh, as our part of our daily life experience that if you can, impact that and make people's experiences at those businesses better. You're really making people's quality of life better. Oh, um, I agree a hundred percent. No doubt. Um, 
you know, you, you, you call it an enunciation moment, you yes. know, you know, a pivotal moment. Yeah. When my parents were teaching me these customer service skills, I had no idea that's what they were and, you know, process improvement and things like that. But let's go to another job. By the way, I kept doing magic shows. I graduated from birthday parties to nightclubs and corporate events through high school and college, but the best job I ever had. I was 16 years old and I was working at the Playboy Club doing comedy and magic. I mean, how it doesn't get any better than that for a 16 year old young man. I don't think so. Anyway, you probably, maybe you still wish you were doing that now, right? Well, you know what? It, it, money was no object. Absolutely. Uh, but seriously, I digress. Uh, I was also working, uh, and my parents were pretty smart. They also made me have regular summer jobs. By the way, the birthday party business is seasonal. Uh, when it's summer and people are on vacation and families are sending their kids to camp, guess what? No birthday parties. Okay. So it, it, it what did I do in the summer? Uh, I did a few birthday parties, but my parents made me get a regular job. Well, the regular job I had, I got into the oil business. I pumped gas. <laughs> I did that at a gas station, but let me tell you, I really didn't even pump gas. I actually just took money. Now, actually, when I was a teenager, we had to pump gas. And I remember when I was about 19 or 20, I went to work for this company um, kind of as a junior executive, but they put me in the field again, working in gas stations because they wanted me to really, it's one thing where you're a kid working there, you know, doing whatever you do. But when you're there to learn, you're looking at it through a whole nother lens. And my job was to learn as much as I could. And I remember we we're a self-serve gasoline station. Now, all we did was take money and, you know, sell cigarettes and oil and soda and whatever we had in the convenience store uh, items that we sold. But I remember one day it was extremely cold. I'm about 20 years old and it was one of the coldest days in St. Louis, Missouri, where I live. And I went outside to pump an elderly woman's gas. I remember we're a self-service gas station. I just didn't want her to have to get out of the car. And I went inside and my manager said, what did you just do? And I thought, this has got to be a trick question. <laughs> I helped this lady. I pumped her gas for, her. why did you do that? I said, well, it's like way below freezing and one of the coldest days of the winter. And you know what? Uh, I just didn't want this frail woman to have to get out of her car. I've seen her here before. And this is what he says. Well, now she's going to expect it the next time she comes in. And I said, well, I really hope she does come back here the next time because there's a gas station right across the street and there's one on the opposite corner. And she has three choices within, you know, a hundred feet of each other, you know? And so he gave me this look and I thought, did I do something wrong? And I, I went with my gut and the answer is no, I did a hundred percent the right thing. And I would do it again, given the opportunity. Uh, I think that's my hospitality mentality. My goal is I want people to be happy and I want to create an experience for them where they want to come back and do business with us, whether it's me personally in my business or whatever business I'm working for. I graduated college and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was working for the oil company. Now get this. I thought my whole career was lined up. They had said, Chuck, we're fast tracking you. You're going into a regional manager position. Now, I'm right out of college. I'm not, I'm, I don't think I was even 22 when I graduated college yet. And uh, they said, you get this job. And you know how much, how old the youngest person in this job was like in his forties. Okay. So I'm really fast tracking. They're going to make me a shadow of somebody for a month and then put me out there and let me 
you know, sink or swim, I guess. Well, I, I think I did pretty well. So I graduated in May. Now it's September. I get brought back into the office. I think I'm in trouble because I was working in Phoenix, Arizona for one of our, our regions out there where I was managing the stations in Arizona, uh, Nevada, um, uh, Colorado, and New Mexico. Anyway, I'm managing this territory and I, I'm asked to come back. I'm like, oh God, I did something wrong. They brought me back to tell me they're selling the company. Not even what, four months out of college. And now I'm questioning, what am I going to do the rest of my life? I thought it was all set. So this is what happened. Um, I finished up with them. I saw a couple of motivational speakers and I thought, well, I can do that. I can get up and speak. I had the entertainment background. That looks like an interesting career, but what am I going to talk about? So I go to the bookstore and I look at the business section, which, which back then uh, it was one shelf of business books. That was it. <laughs> but you know, I bought like four books that day. I bought um, Ron Zemke and Carl Albrecht's books on customer service. I bought, I bought uh, Tom Peters book called In Search of Excellence. This is in 1983 trying to think if there was another book that I bought. Uh, I thought I bought four books. Anyway, uh, I said, and I realized this is all about creating a great experience. That's where I, it was just like my passion. And here, and I wrote this speech, which is really a book report combining everything I was learning. I wrote this speech and people liked it. And then I started to learn from the companies I was working at. You know, um, when you get to work, so this is how I did my research. Uh, you would hire me, say, Kyle, you would hire me for, a comp uh, for an event. And I had all these questions that I would ask you. And then I would learn about your company. And I didn't realize I was feeding my brain with experiences that you had. And now I'm able, as I grow my business to play off of those experiences and talk about, you know, uh, this oil company did this, this retailer did that, this hotel business did this. I, I one of my early clients was Holiday Inn uh, Worldwide, which had a couple of different brands. I also worked for Hyatt. I worked for Marriott. All of that was in the 1980s before you were ever born. So, and by the way, I still work for some of those brands today. Um, but anyway, I digress. The, um, um, the point of this is that I was drawn to this and maybe it's because um, I just, my parents taught me, I don't know, but we have to find, and, and there are plenty of people when we're in the business of trying to find great employees, always, there are plenty of people out there that want to please other people. And all you have to do is find the right behavioral style and, and put them into the job. That's what Jim Bush did at American Express when he said, I'd rather take the person who worked at a hotel over somebody that just has this great experience uh, at, the, at the call center level. That's that's an interesting story. And by the way, you have a phenomenal memory. The fact that you even remember the three books, uh, even if it was three out of four that you bought, that's what well, that's really awesome. There was another book um, and I, 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 I've got them all here, uh, but I get confused as to whether I bought it that day or it came out. And there was another book uh, that came out in the mid 1980s titled Moments of Truth. And what always confuses me is I read an article in 1983 when I started my business uh, called Moments of Truth by Jan Carlson, the guy that wrote the book. And to me, is that thin little book is like uh, one of the most important books that you can buy in the hospitality customer service experience business. He ran an airline and uh, the airline was losing millions of dollars. 
Do you know the story about the moment of truth and Jan Carlson? No, I, this is news. I was just thinking to myself, mental note, I need to get that book, but well, I haven't. Well, I let me share it with you. Now you don't have to buy the book. No, it's <laughs> I just kidding. And it's a thin little book. I, I, I wonder if I actually have, I used to have a copy of it in here. Um, so the moment of truth, according to Jan Carlson, who ran Scandinavian Airlines when it was losing money, is anytime the passenger or a guest or a customer, depending upon the business, you're in a member, a resident, whatever, anytime this person who pays you money comes into contact with any aspect of your business and has an opportunity to form an impression. So anytime one of our guests is making a reservation, they're on our website, they're walking through our doors, they're even on our parking lot, they're getting picked up by a shuttle at the airport or whatever, anytime they interact with any of our people during the stay, they are forming impressions. And there's people to people impressions. There's, you know, the way you walk in, what's the presence, the cleanliness of the room, what are the, everything goes toward managing impressions. Now, Jan Carlson focused on the people to people. He said, our airlines are supposed to do what they're supposed to do. But he did say something interesting. He said, you know, but if the, if the tray table is broken, that, that, that passenger on the plane might think, well, if the tray table won't go down, will the landing gear go down? <laughs> it's a, do you see? So even if it's not people to people, it's really, really important to, to keep those uh, moments of truth in mind. But he said moments of truth can be good and bad. And by the way, he went into every uh, city they had a presence in. He went into all these big airplane hangars and gathered all the employees of Scandinavian Airlines and he talked about this moment of truth concept. And it was really simple for people to understand. The main moments of truth are making a reservation, uh, greeted at the airport when you're getting out and checking your bags curbside, you're greeted at the ticket uh, counter, you walk toward the gate, maybe a couple of flight attendants from the airline, not your necessarily your flight, but from your air, from the airline, they walk by and they smile at you and they wave. Now that's not a main moment of truth, but it's an important moment of truth, isn't it? I mean, if you look at the uh, horse Schultz from the uh, uh, Ritz Carlton, the first president and co-founder, he talks about the way you create an iconic brand is to just be a little bit better than average, but consistently and, and better than average means when one of the hotel employees walks by you, they smile and they say, good morning, instead of just walking by you and maybe giving us uh, giving you a slight head nod. Anyway, uh, Jan Carlson's version of this, you know, you, you get to the ticket counter, you get on the plane, the flight attendants take care of you, you get off the plane and you're greeted, and then you get your bags. And this journey that the customer takes, no, no pun intended, but the, you know, we talk about journey mapping or customer experiences, you know, if along the way, every one of these touch points, these interaction points are managed well, that customer, that passenger is going to want to fly on the airline again. And that's how we turn the airline around to become not just financially successful again, but become, became the most admired airline in the entire airline industry, which is pretty darn impressive with this simple concept. And so we need to teach every one of our employees at our hotels where they uh, can impact that guest experience. And it's everywhere. It's not just, uh, you know, the property itself, which is really important. Uh, you know, you manage the details, make sure things are freshly painted, the carpet. I went to a very nice restaurant yesterday and I know I'm jumping off here, but to give you an example, yeah. my bill for eight people for lunch was $50 a person. Okay. That's an expensive lunch. All right. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm not in New York city or San Francisco. Right. And I looked, the room is beautiful. And I looked down on the carpet, you know, where the seam is, where the carpets come together, you can see a rip. You can see it. It's, and I'm thought to myself, 
I'm going to say something to the manager, not as a complaint. He, the manager knows what I do for a living. So he is happy to hear, you know what? That doesn't look good. And, but that's a detail that could turn a person off saying, I'm spending a lot of money here. Next time I'm going to go find a restaurant that doesn't have ripped carpeting. Okay. Um, so it's, but anyway, back to the hotel experience, you know, we've got to manage these moments of truth and make sure that every interaction along the way and knowing that even somebody that might be behind the scenes in the accounting department, they could impact that guest experience. If uh, there's uh, uh, the billing is wrong at the end of the stay, uh, perhaps, the, you know, uh, an email is sent to the guest saying, hey, here's your final bill. And you look on it, wait a minute. I didn't get anything from the mini bar. Do you know how hard it is to get something taken off your bill from an errant mini bar charge? Half <laughs> the time, I think some of these hotels do this because they know it's a pain. I have to call the hotel all for like a $10 or $12 charge. I'm going to call the hotel, be put on hold, talk to somebody in the accounting department, which is the person that never is on the front line. Um, and they don't say, Oh, you know, let's, let's make it easy. Oh, your kid will show up on, off your bill in three to five days or whatever. It could be easier, but uh, anyway, uh, I digress, but you well, get no, you're right. I mean, it's, it's uh, I'm, I'm sure that people see something wrong and then think the, the, uh, the value proposition in their mind of like, is it, is my time worth the $10 Yep. That's wrong on my bill for what will likely be a frustrating and inconvenient experience. Probably not. I'm just going to shut up and forget about it. And right. I mean, it's going to take me 15 minutes. I'm going to be put on hold. Then they're going to say the person's not here. Then they're going to call me back. I'm going to be on the phone with someone else. Then I got to call them back and I got to start this cycle. Uh, you know, hey, I'm not, I'm not negative and I don't think the worst of anything. <laughs> <laughs> but these like stereotypes are true for a reason to a certain extent when it comes to that sort of experience. I work in hotels. I'm a hotel manager and I, and I want the best. And I still understand, I still get, you know, you know, where you're coming from in that experience. Now, speaking of which, have you stayed in a hotel recently? I, I'm sure you've heard all the, the discussions about the labor shortage and, you know, oh my gosh, hospitality terrible for some of these with COVID yeah. and everything going on. So I'm curious to know, like if you've been, if you've had an opportunity to stay in a hotel, I guess, during this kind of most recent. Oh yeah. I've been staying. Uh, so I've been very lucky. Uh, I've had a few uh, business trips and then I've taken a couple of personal trips as well. I will tell you my biggest frustration came at a hotel in New York city where when we showed up, their restaurant was closed. There was no room service. There was nothing. And yet my price didn't reflect that. Mm -hmm. And I said something to them. And, and as a result of me saying that, I believe that's the reason I did not get asked to do a survey at the end of the trip, because I would have blasted them. I would never publicly blast them. Mm -hmm. You will never hear me speak negatively of any brand uh, that I've ever uh, done business with. I think that would be terrible for my reputation. And I think people <laughs> are not going to hire him. If we do something wrong, look what he's going to say about us. But uh, so you won't, but I will tell you uh, generically this particular brand, a hotel, a well-known brand. Uh, when I, I, I said, so can I just go in there and grab a bite to eat? Cause my room, I got in early. I get it. Room's not ready. And they said, they're going to get it done as quickly as they can. They put me on the list. They estimated about an hour. I go, I'll just go in the coffee shop and it's about lunchtime. Oh, I'm sorry. It's closed. Really? Room service closed. Nothing. 
Okay. And how much am I paying for this? It really bothered me. But I also recognized in their defense, there's a labor shortage. They could have said, we're really sorry. We're going to give you, you know, we made an arrangement with, you know, a local delivery service that can bring food in for you. There's a, a dozen ways they could have handled this differently than just saying, sorry, we're closed. Right. Uh, you but- are completely on your own in a city that you're relatively unfamiliar. I mean, I know you travel a lot, but New York, for, I know for pretty the, well, but, for the but general you're right. it, public, it, it's, it's literally like you are in the largest urban metropolis in the country, maybe even on the planet, you're probably have heightened levels of anxiety. You're here, you finally made it to this oasis of hospitality as you would expect. And to find out that you are completely isolated, you are on your own, you have a bed and a shower, and that is all we're gonna do for you. Greg and I, we we went to New York City, and this was my first time there uh, in May. And we went to, we stayed at a hotel and, we were doing a film shoot there in New York city. So we had, and we drove in from Chicago, 14 hour drive again, coming into this place that we are not familiar with. We have all this gear in the car and there is not a single uh, luggage bell cart to be found on the property. Hey, can we, so, and I, I know cause working in Chicago, similar environment, I know unions are playing a role here. So I say, is there anybody available to help me with this stuff? No, there's nobody available. Okay, no problem. Can I please have a bell card so I can re- bring my belongings into the hotel? No, we do not offer bell cards anywhere on the property. And if, and I'm thinking to myself, union rules dictate that if, if the bellman isn't the one with the cart, then nobody can have it. If not that- Or a COVID, um, they're worried about touching the cart and passing. Back in May, I'm trying to remember if, if that was still an issue. Um, I don't remember. I, I, to that level. The I My gut is telling me it was the union rules um, because it just seems so ridiculous. And then, it, so that it was that, and then it was- of course, nothing else was available. Food and beverage operations were completely shut down. So it was like, and there were people working and we, there was security and front desk. And like, they see us like begrudgingly, like taking all this gear in one by one and like struggling and like nobody even like offering a, to me, it would have been, if somebody would have said, Hey, you know what? I, I know like nothing that I say to you right now will make sense. Like assuming it's the union rules. I understand that this is immensely frustrating for you. Um, like, it, you know, I, I, I just want you to know that I'm empathizing with you and that I want you to have a great stay. Um, you know, even if they said, I'm just a front desk agent, there's nothing I can do, but just know that I really feel for you right now. I would have been like, great. I love you. I'm going to take all my stuff up and I'm going to be happy about it. And I would have been, I honestly would have been fine. Of course, because I empathize with the hotel as well, but it was just so dry, so nonchalant, so apathetic. And I actually felt so we have to show that empathy. Yeah. I felt so pissed. And I'm like, even as a hotel person, as, as I want to like, you know, I just come in, you won't hear me. You won't see me. I'm just, going to fly under the radar. I don't want to cause any problems for anybody, but I was really upset about that. And I, and I think we're seeing that more and more, even if it's not the amenities, it's, you know, people are burnt out, right. Because they're doing the work of more people now in in the service industry. And I also think that people haven't really done a good job of associating meaning with their work um, in the hospitality industry. I think it's one of the most 
you know, honorable things that we can do is to serve other people, but we're not talking about that. Do you feel that associating meaning with something that you're doing is critical to success or how would you? Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, How about this? Um, I'm, it's probably nothing new to anybody listening to this show, uh, or watching the show, but Kyle, what is the credo of the Ritz Carlton? Uh, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. I think if, that's correct, right? If you, exactly. <laughs> we're, we're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And that means that I don't look at you as an employee. You are a lady or a gentleman. Now, I don't know if that's politically correct anymore, but up until a couple of years ago, it was probably it, just fine. <laughs> But we're good people serving good people is what we're saying. And mm-hmm. we're doing it at a level where, you know, um, at, 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 I guess b- being elevated to the level of a lady or a gentleman. Now, this to me labels an employee is something more than just an employee. When we call them team members, when we call them associates, it's more than just saying, hey, you work here now, just go do your job. Uh, it elevates. So you can you can change some of the terminology but you also, as a manager and a leader, have to back up that terminology too. You can't just right. act and, and put a name on something. You know, uh, what do they say? Uh, you know, uh, I have nothing against pigs, but they say, uh, hey, you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I think that's okay to say these days. But, you know, we're, we're trying to dress up something that is, you know, and make it something that's not. Um, there, I, uh, well, let's talk about the Ritz Carlton. Uh, I live next to the Ritz in St. Louis, Missouri, and we love going there. They have a lobby and and they stopped their music during COVID. They haven't brought it back yet. So it's been, oh gosh, it seems like uh, maybe a year and a half plus. They, you can sit in the lobby and you can have sandwiches, burger, whatever. They have a beautiful restaurant and that restaurant is open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We went there the other night for dinner and guess what? They're no longer open for lunch. You can sit in the bar and have lunch, but you can't eat in the restaurant. Why? We just can't get good people. And I feel for them. They're doing what they can to make it work. I was at the Ritz-Carlton in Cleveland, and this was just a month ago. um, And I'm in charge of this meeting we do every year. And we love staying at Ritz-Carlton properties because we've learned we have a system, we have a contract. And even though the properties are managed differently and they're even owned by different people, um, they are, when I say manager, they're managed pretty much the same, but the ownership can actually cause some direction. We just say, this is our contract from last year. Change the numbers, whatever we need to do for this market, but everything else stays the same. Well, one of the reasons we choose that is we love the concierge or the club lounge as it's called the concierge level club lounge. And why do we like it? Because it's a place for us to congregate and we can meet for breakfast there. And we can have, uh, after our meetings, we can have a cocktail or a drink and eat some more d'oeuvres before we have our dinner. We pay, I think it's as much as a hundred plus dollars a night extra for that privilege. Well, we booked this Mm -hmm. hotel pre COVID and last year we had to cancel our meeting because of COVID. And they were so genuinely nice to just simply say, where are you going to have your meeting next year? We'll either give you your money back or just let's keep the exact same rate, exact same everything, roll it into next year. Well, we rolled it into this year and we stay there. Here is the issue though. They closed their club lounge. Why? They can't have all that food out there. They didn't feel that it was the, uh, the right thing to do. Now, they still are able to do a buffet, but they felt with all the different walks of life walking into their lounge area, 
for our people, it might, we might be comfortable, but if we saw somebody that wasn't part of our group, so you know what they did? They said, we are going to give you your own little lounge. Uh, we're either going to open the lounge up just for you, or what they, what they actually did is they got a meeting room a, and it was more than a meeting room. It was like a, a, a I don't know, it, it, it had a, its own bar and it was a beautiful room, but we only had what, 25 people and this place could have hold 80 people, but they opened that up for us all day long. And they gave us the lounge experience just for our group. I know that had to cost far more than having it open for the entire, you know, couple of floors that get access to that lounge level. That's what they did to compensate. I am so excited to stay at another one of their hotels the next time we have our meeting. I can't wait because that's the way they treat people. The consistently consistency and the predictability of it all. I'm again, chills. Seriously. I don't believe I've ever, I mean, that's a magic moment for sure. Right. I mean, oh, sure. like, and I'm excited. I've actually don't tell anybody. Um, cause I know I probably should have, but I've never stayed at a Ritz Carlton. Actually I have, I was like five years old, I think. Okay. And I actually Is had any, a magic moment. Anybody there, from the Ritz, anybody <laughs> in management from the Ritz is listening to this show or watching this show. I want you to call Kyle and I want you to give him a room because here's what he will do. He will talk about it to the world, to the hospitality world. I will. And, and talk about the experience. They do a wonderful job. And you know, there's other brands as well. I've written about the four seasons, it, it, even, you know, and by the way, when you're in a franchise organization, as many of these hotel groups are, you will have different experiences from hotels to, to hotel. And that is a shame because a great experience at this, uh, you know, Sheraton might be a different experience in another Sheraton or this Marriott is different than that Marriott. Uh, there are certain hotels that have certain standards that you can't drop below, but in some brands, uh, it's very difficult in the franchise world to create this perfect brand consistency. Um, but, um, you know, I think many brands do their best with what they have, um, and to work with. And, uh, that's what we have to do. We always need to focus on doing our best. And I think uh, that brings up another interesting thing that if you fail in some area, it's how, not only how you recover, it's your personality and how you recover as well. I remember really going to a restaurant, having, uh, the food kept coming out wrong. Our server couldn't have been more apologetic and eventually it became humorous. It was so bad. And she laughed along with it. And of course they did everything they could. Hey, next time you come back, the meals on us, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? That server saved that restaurant, that one hotel employee that's recognizing that the guests could be having a bad experience, such as you were having Kyle with that New York experience that you had that one employee that's empathizing with you, that feels connected to you, or you feel connected to them is going to save the experience. And you may go back to that same place next time as a result of that. And that's why I'll share a lesson we talk about in, in some of my books that one of us represents all of us. I call this an awesome responsibility at any given time, one employee of our brand of our hotel of our business is going to represent every single one of us. And they need to accept this awesome responsibility. Now consider this. I love that. I'm, I'm going to make up a number. Let's say in a, a hotel has a hundred employees and 99 of them are rock stars, but one, Oh, one just doesn't seem to get it. And let's say, Kyle, you walk into this hotel and you just happen 
to get this person taking care of you. The one person that doesn't get it. 99 rock stars, one that's not. My question to you is, are you going to say, wow, the people at that hotel, all but that one are fantastic. No, <laughs> this this one person just represented your entire experience. And they also represented their entire brand and every employee there. And this is what people say. They go, they aren't very friendly. And it wasn't a they, it was a he or a she uh, or them (laughs) today. Uh, But the point is it's one person that represented the entire brand. And that person either lets the brand, you know, go up to a high level or brings the brand down. And we all need to accept this awesome responsibility, as I call it that one of us can represent all of us. So remember, you're only as good as your weakest employee because that employee B may be the one that interfaces or interacts with your guest. Keep that in mind. So you want- That's such a great like way of articulating it that I've never considered before. Cause you know, what, what's the phrase? Like you're only as strong as your weakest link, you know? And we kind of like, everybody knows that one. but to say one of us represents all of us, and that's an awesome responsibility. What a, just as we were talking about the, the the failure to attach meaning to your role, I think that's such a great way to attach meaning to say like you know you are you're it, you are it. You may just think you are a dishwasher or a steward or, or a housekeeper, or you might just think that you're doing manual labor for your business, whatever, but no, you are it. It starts and stops with you. And then same for the next person. We all share that, that awesome burden together. We all, we all share. Do you want to call it a burden or opportunity? Yeah. Um, You know, who's really important at, 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 uh, let's say, let's say the restaurant that's at your, your hotel. Do you know who's really, really important? Who's Who's the most important person? in that restaurant? This is not a trick question and you may answer it right. You may answer it wrong and it really doesn't matter. I'll make you feel good no matter what. (laughs) Okay. Um, Off the top of your head. So I'm going to go with cook because that person will basically decide if you get sick or not. Okay. That's, 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 that's that's where my, that's a good one. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah. You're wondering, is it the server that's most important? Is it the chef or the cook that's preparing the food the way it's supposed to be prepared? And it's going to come out consistently every time. All of those are really important people. And by the way, they're all really important people, but you know, I don't care how good the food is. I don't care how good the service is. If it comes out on a dirty dish, it's going back. Yeah. That dishwasher is so important. And you know what happens if there are no clean dishes to put the food on? The restaurant shuts down. Okay. So I'm not saying that the, that the dishwasher is the most important person, but to your point, Kyle, we need to give meaning to these jobs. When all of a sudden you say to yourself as a dishwasher, holy cow, I've got a pretty important responsibility here. Because if I don't do my job, this whole place shuts down, you know, because they're going to get, you know, we're not going to have clean dishes for them. You know, to imagine having to serve a nice glass of wine in a paper cup because we don't have any clean glasses. Right. So <laughs> this, this becomes yeah. really important. And I think that you bring up a real important point where we have to give meaning and the way you give meaning is by letting people know what their role is in the customer experience. 
Jan Carlson, back to that moment of truth concept in the airline business. Um, and it's kind of like the dishwasher. Um, when I check my bag at the curb, as I walk into the airport, I see it go down the conveyor belt. The next time I see it is going to be at the destination on the baggage carousel. How many people do you think touch that bag between the time I saw it go down the uh, conveyor belt and eventually show up on the carousel? I don't know, eight, 10, 12 people. Somebody sees it at the bottom of the, of the conveyor belt. They look at the tag. They make sure it gets into the right pile. They get it scanned. They put it on the right cart. Somebody drives a cart out. A couple people unload the, the cart to put it on the airplane. And eventually it gets to the destination. Everything happens in reverse. So there's probably a, you know at least six, eight, 10 people that touch that bag. None of them ever see their customer, the passenger. None of them. Yet they actually have two customers. One is me, the passenger, when I show up and my bag is there, like it's supposed to, I don't really think much of it, but if it's not there, oh my gosh, I'm upset. I've now got to go to the baggage office and you know, there's going to be 10 people ahead of me. And there's only one person working the counter of this baggage office. So here's the point though, that person behind the scenes, they never saw me, but man, they ruined my trip at that moment. And they let down their internal customer. Because of that, uh, if that person behind the scenes, they didn't just fail to get my luggage there. I now have to go to that baggage uh, claim office personnel. And I need to say to him or her, you lost my bag. When are you going to get my bag? to me? And that person's going, hey, I didn't lose your bag. You know, <laughs> don't kill the don't kill the, the messenger. I'm here to help. Right. More or less. But it's the same thing. If the server is pulled over and say, you know what? Look at there's lipstick on my glass. This there, there's this plate is filthy. You know what? That dishwasher let down the guest. They let down the server. And ultimately they let down the entire restaurant by not doing their job. That dishwasher has two really important types of customers, the guest and everybody that works serving that guest. Well, yeah, definitely. And, and a lot of times, and Hey, I've been guilty of this myself very recently because again, very understaffed. Hey, here's your job. Here's a little overview of what you're going to be doing. Why don't you go and try it out and see how you do. And we'll reconvene and we'll see what you need to improve on. Okay, great. Thanks. Got to go run. Not associating any meaning with it. We do need to, part of the training process really should be like your component of the cog and the wheel and how that plays into everything else. Now you've been doing this for a long time. You've been speaking to plenty of companies and people still are like, we're still having the same conversations about. We are customers. We're going to have it 20 years from now too. I'm so excited. There's always going to be a place for me to work. <laughs> you and me both, you and me both. So we, we, we have job security in that, in that regard. Right. Um, is it really that hard? Like what's, what do you notice is the missing component? Like, I guess what I'm really trying to ask you is why is this still such a problem? Why can we never seem to get this right? I don't what's, understand. What's going it. on? Like what's, what's the yeah, deal, it, Chef? It's like not rocket science. It's common sense that unfortunately is not always as common as it should be. So um, I have this new book back and, and you're so nice to put the title of the book underneath my name. It's I'll be back. How to get customers to come back again and again, substitute the word customer for guest. It's, it's the same. And just about everything in this book is going to apply to the hotel industry and the hospitality industry. But 
uh, here's the, here's what happens. Our, our customers, our guests no longer compare us to another hotel or restaurant. They compare us to the best service they received from anyone, anywhere, in any company, in any industry. And these rock star businesses, and it could be another hotel, another restaurant, it could be a manufacturer. If I work for a uh, business that buys a, a big piece of machinery and that person on the inside of that company, who's my inside salesperson is like unbelievably attentive. They know me, they know my name, they know my kids' names, they know their birthdays. They've like connected with me. That is where the bar is. Are you going to be able to deliver at this level for me? Mentally, I may not be, or consciously, I may not be thinking of that, but that is where my baseline for what great customer service is. The bar is higher. And as a result of that, our guests are now coming in with an expectation that's higher than ever. I, I Oftentimes we do programs and I'll ask, what are your favorite companies to do business with? And, you know, sometimes hotel brands are mentioned, but guess what's mentioned the number one brand of all? And I'll bet you can guess. I'll let you, let's play a little game. Who's the, your favorite company or, or, or let's, I, it may not be your favorite company, but what do you think most people would say their favorite companies are or favorite company? Go ahead. Uber, Amazon, something hyper convenient. Okay. Now you get a choice is Uber or Amazon. I'm going to go with Amazon. I'm ding, go with ding, Amazon. ding. That is the correct answer. Thanks for playing the game. All yes, right. It's Amazon. And what's happened is Amazon, the moment you place, by the way, it's a total self-service experience, but they've created such a great self-service experience. It's very intuitive. You learn a net to navigate the website. You can look at reviews, you can compare products. And once you finally decide what it is, they show you a price and they'll say, you could buy this less expensive somewhere else if you want. Take a chance is what they're saying because you won't get the Amazon experience. And that Amazon experience, if you need it, includes a really amazing level of customer service. But the moment you place your order, you get an email that says you've ordered, your order's been placed, your order's been shipped, your order has been received. These three pieces of communication are really important to creating this confidence that the customer has uh, about the company they do business with. Now, we go through these training programs and we ask, and I would, I, I would do it in a hotel. Who are the companies that you love doing business with? And people would say Amazon. Now there is the Amazon, I'm going to say it, it's a hard word to say, the Amazation of America, the Amazation of the world or Amazonation, however you want to say it. It's like they've created this extreme experience. And, you know, granted, not every company can be Amazon and don't even try, but you can learn from them. What are they doing? I uh, do a reservation at a hotel and I immediately get feedback. My reservation has been, um, you know, confirmed uh, two weeks before my, my, and by the way, if it's a marketing message, that's different than a message that says, Hey, we can't wait to see you. Okay. And there are plenty of hotels that will send me an automated message. that says, we can't wait to see you. You're going to be here in two weeks. Uh, you, if you have, if you need a dinner reservation, call our concierge, here's the number, here's the extension. We are getting ready to receive you at our hotel. And once you walk in the hotel and the person behind the desk says, welcome, Kyle, thanks for coming here. We've been expecting you. Well, yeah, and I expect that you would feel that way because you've been connecting with me. That's the Amazon experience happening in a hotel.
right? And and you know what's really cool? Uh, there's a company that I was working with, and I don't want to use their brand name. They just changed it not long ago, but they work with hotels. And the moment you get in your hotel, I, I shouldn't say that the moment it's timed. Maybe it's seven minutes after you check in and you're in your room, you get a text message. This is so-and-so from the hotel. Want you to look around. Is there anything you need? Is the room the way you expect it to be? Here's why. They don't want their feedback at the end of the trip. They don't want you to give them feedback a day later when they receive a survey. If they can get the feedback at that very moment, that's a hint on what the company's name is. But if they can get that feedback in the very moment that they're actually, uh, that the guest is in need of something, they can fix it right away. Isn't that cool? So this is where our world is headed right now. There is a bar that is set higher than ever by rockstar businesses. And it's our goal to try to compete with them in the level of hospitality. And uh, it sometimes it's an amenity, you know, do you know about the amenity wars in the hotel industry? I don't know. You, you. This is a long time before you were born. The amenity wars? No, That's, but this you know, is like, let's I do think, a little history lesson. Yeah. So the amenity wars, and think about what it is. Uh, a hotel decides one day. And by the way, I'll, this is an example of when you are sitting down with your team, why would somebody stay at our hotel instead of someone else's hotel? And I can Google this. If I Google amenity wars. I don't know. You'll probably get my content that comes up. Awesome. I'll do that then. But, but okay, this is straight out of the book. I'll be back. Uh, this is chapter 15. This is the I'll be back experience. Okay. Number one, why us instead of the competition? You get your team together and you say, do you guys think about it? What do we have that others don't have? And don't say, oh, we got really great service because everybody does. <laughs> okay. Then uh, number two, uh, and then I'll tell you about the amenity war in just a moment because it ties into step four. Okay. Number two, you ask, why would somebody stay at the competition across the street or down the street instead of us? Okay. And you need to come up with good examples and you need to know about your competition. Number three, what is that competition doing that we aren't doing that we should be doing? And actually it's at step three that, that uh, where the amenity war comes in. You don't want to copy them. That would be a mistake because then you become a commodity. Okay. And I'll give you an example straight from the hotel playbook. Some really smart person one day said for our business clientele, why don't we give them a free newspaper? And when the person checked in, they said, Hey, we have free newspapers. When you get up in the morning, come on down here. They're just waiting for you. Ask for one. Then somebody across the street or down the street said, hey, did you hear what you're, they're doing down the street? They're giving away newspapers. We should do that too. But let's not do it the same way they're doing it. Let's set it at their doorstep. Ah, you see what just happened? So now the war has been declared, basically. Right, the war has been declared. We're not going to cop you. We're going to destroy you with your own. <laughs> We're going to make it better. And then, you know what the next person did? They said, oh, we can make that even better. How's that? When they come in, let's offer them a choice of newspapers. <laughs> it's an amenity war, right? So, uh, but that's what you must do. You must find what your competition is doing. And if you're not doing it, don't just copy it, make it better, make it yours. Step four, Look outside of your industry. Think about all the companies right. you love to do business with and why. And that why is real important. I talk about Amazon. People love the email confirmations, not because they love emails. It's because it gives them confidence, right? And then uh, once you write this list on, again, do it with a team because there's a lot of synergy in talking it out with your colleagues. 
Step five is to take what these other non-industry companies are doing that you love and seeing if we can adapt it to what we have in our hotel. What can we do to learn from them and use that? Now we're not only best in our, our industry, we're becoming best in class worldwide. Next is step six is to go back and ask almost the same question you asked in step one. But you add, now that we're doing all of this and we've made these changes, why would someone want to do business with us now? And there's your I'll be back experience. And that's, that could do, that's like a loop that you can yep, You'll do it again and, and again, do it once every, you can start off right away and you do it again six months later and then maybe go annually and you'll see, you'll get quite a few ideas and opportunities to change. Cause sometimes some of these ideas take a while to implement. Well, yeah. And, and certainly it, so it sounds like the contents from your book are practical, interactive, um, and, and will help in the, uh, this whole shift that everybody is going through right now, uh, because I think you said in the trailer for your book, loyal return customers are, are like, okay. Yeah. Uh, go so ahead. Repeat customers <laughs> are gold it. and loyal customers are sacred. Yeah. And like what we saw is particularly in the hotel industry and, and you guys will know what I'm talking about is that the guests will just stop showing up before COVID. They just, for some reason, they just kept coming. We, we let's thank our director of sales and let's thank our, our operations team for making it happen, but they just kept coming. Now mm -hmm. they don't, we know that they're not going to show up. We know what it's like for our hotels to literally be at 3% occupancy for a long scary. time. So scary. We know how this is and we we've been through it. So what are we, what are we going to do to, to fix that? Well, we've got to incorporate some of that stuff. And, and instead of retreating into the fear and behind the veil of the pandemic, we have to, you know, have some fortitude and move forward. You know, what Before, could a hotel do? Um, I, I think about this. Everybody says, Oh, we need to pivot. You can't pivot. When you pivot, you turn your back on something. I used to use that word pivot early in the pandemic till I realized that that meant doing this. You know, that's not a, what kind of an interview would this be if I did that? <laughs> okay, but think about what you do in a hotel. So um, I have a friend of mine, he's in a certain part of the construction business that is getting decimated because they can't get the raw materials needed to build what they need to build. So you know what he's doing? He says, I don't want to lose any of my people. He is actually going out and he is um, uh, finding homes to rehab, invest in them, hmm. put his people who would normally be doing construction projects into this. So he keeps them working. Okay. And they're now they're in, and, and he's making, you know, it's hard to pay these people when they don't have their, but he's working it out. So they, they didn't lose their jobs. Okay. Can you think what, what could a hotel do? I've got an idea. Let's take the restaurant and let's turn it into a marketplace where people can come in and pick up ingredients for meals in the near, not just for guests coming into the hotel, but we need to think completely different. I have a friend that was in the restaurant business and they said, you can't be open anymore. You're done. Okay. Unless you want to, uh, you know, deliver or do curbside. And, yeah. you know, but that wasn't still enough to keep everybody employed, but he noticed grocery stores can stay open. So you know what he did? He opened up as a market that sold all the ingredients separately, you know, deconstructed sandwiches, and you could buy the bread, you can buy the beef, the turkey, the chicken, whatever you can buy everything separately and go home and make it yourself. 
And now he opened up as a food market, which was essential in the pandemic versus a restaurant, which was deemed you had to close. You couldn't have anybody in the inside. But now people are walking inside and buying everything. So he managed to be flexible. So if you can imagine taking your team and creating a, a farmer's market, a, a store where the chef can you know, provide special recipes, maybe on video, and you come to the to the hotel to get the ingredients. Now locals are coming to you, not just people from out of town. And maybe you're not able to keep everybody, but you're able to keep most people. There may not be a need for a housekeeper if, you're, if your hotel is not being occupied, but that housekeeper can surely shift to taking care of of, you know, helping to sell at the marketplace that you have or, you know, keeping everything else clean. So anyway, I digress, but you get the I'm gonna, idea. I'm going to tell you a, a story from uh, um, the number one double tree by Hilton Hotel in the world. This is okay. president of the company. His name is Craig Poole. He's my mentor. We actually have a documentary coming up about his hotel. He uh, He's awesome. This is what he did during the pandemic. His business is, you know, he has a hotel and he has 27,000 square feet of meeting and event space uh, on property. He's the destination. He, he does a lot of events business. So what happened during the pandemic, you either couldn't do events or they couldn't be very large events and you could only have 10 people in a room. Well, that's going to put everybody out of business, right? So he couldn't do that. So what did he do? He bought an outside catering company that had trucks uh, and chairs and yep. tables. Mm -hmm. And he said, we're going to do the same double tree catering experience, but we're going wherever you are. We're going to your backyard. They went to an airplane hangar. We're going, we're going everywhere. And now they can choose between to do it at the hotel or really anywhere in the state of Pennsylvania, pretty much where they're from. Um, so Again, just another example of it's a, of, it's a great of, example of being creative and realize we have a property. It doesn't have to serve as, you know, 80 plus percent occupancy as a hotel. We can take care of the guests as they come in and we can be flexible and have a different business model. Now, here's the cool thing. And I don't know how he's doing now. I'm sure he's getting back to his regular occupancy rates, but there's no reason you have to stop something that was working. Oftentimes, like even in my business, I was primarily a guy that goes around the world on stage and does speeches and writes books and sells books to the audience members and that type of thing. Well, that came to a screeching halt. I had a couple, well, a, a year and a half so far of a pretty darn good, you know, year and a half here without getting on stage very often at all. Uh, and the way that happens is we we think creatively. And you know what? When the when the schedule of speaking on stage comes back as it used to be, where I'm doing the number of speeches I, I used to do, I'm not going to stop what's working right now. I now have right. added. So the catering that uh, this gentleman is doing as a manager of the hotel, he's probably going to continue to cater around the area beyond uh, what he was doing before COVID. Oh my God! Yeah, he's. Yeah that's he's he's going he's he's not turning back now because his brand is now beyond just that that building too and his brand is is essentially statewide yep. um so chef let's wrap up today's interview um now we can I go wanted, on for about three and a half hours before we have to go to the bathroom and that's the only reason we would break we we certainly could and <laughs> so first of all thanks again for being on the show you're awesome my pleasure
I want to say something and this, you know, I, I know you've been doing this a long time and it just shows like the level of nuance and expertise that you have. Your communication to the hospitality MD audience was very much tailored to the hotel audience. And I think they really appreciate that. I noticed that you tried and intentionally navigated the way you communicated to, um, to speak to our primary audience. And that goes a long way. So thank you. My pleasure. Very hospitable of you to do that for my audience. Thanks. Um, Now let's give you an opportunity to tell everybody where we can find you, where we can get, I'll be back. I think it's coming out uh, this, the 21st, right? September 21st. It's out. You can get it today. Go to Amazon. It's available. It's been available for a while. Apparently I thought it was supposed to launch on a particular day, but the inventory was there and they've been sending it out. It already hit number one, new release and marketing and sales. And um, so well, congratulations. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Very excited about that. Uh, and just go to Amazon. I'll be back book uh, is what you want to type in. If you just type in, I'll be back, you'll be surprised at what pops up. There's <laughs> apparently a past president of the United States that has a lot of information. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's what, what I thought this book was about customer service, but apparently it's about Donald Trump. No, uh, just make sure you put the word book behind. I'll be back and you'll get to my book. Um, and uh, you can go to hiking.com to reach out to me. And of course, uh, all you got to do is put my name in and you're going to find me everywhere. Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube. I'm there. Awesome. And by the way, guys, Shep has a lot of uh, free blogs and articles and stuff on his website that are awesome. Just tidbits and stuff. Pull those out, share them with your teams during pre-shift. You will not be disappointed. Shep has, he's, he's got all the information you need in his books and on his website. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, This has been such a pleasure for me as well. And thank you everybody for listening. This has been Hospitality MD with Shep Hyken. We will see you next week. Thank you guys so much for sticking around at the end of the interview. I hope today's episode brought you some value. If it did, be sure to share it with a friend. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, check the link in the description to all of our social media accounts. Follow us and connect with us there. We also love hearing from you individually. We will respond to your messages. So reach out if you want to talk to us about hospitality. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you guys again for your support. And we will see you next week on Hospitality MD.